Today I am back in um, this concept of the royal priesthood and I'm excited to share what I get to share with you today because uh, I would say that uh, there have been a few decisions that Suzette and I have made uh, that have directed the course of our life into a lot of blessing. And I love to share those because they're not just ideas, they are, they're proven uh, ideas that have now, we're going to be married 37 years this October, and that's awesome. Uh, and, um, and so uh, there are a few things that we've kind of shared in together, ideas that we had in place before we got together, ideas that we put into place after we got married uh, that have made a huge difference. And one of those ideas is that we've just determined to make the house of God uh, a central priority in our life. Uh, it, it, wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a decision, were we going to go to church this Sunday? Were we going to be involved in church? Were we going to serve in church? Were we going to help church be great? Because we believe that church is God's idea. And God created church to be a, a, a gate of heaven to pour himself into the world. Um, we, we made this decision uh, when, before we ever got married that we would never use the word divorce even in kidding around. We just, it, it never entered a conversation of ours ever. We closed the back door. Uh, we, we are allowed to use the word murder, but not, no, but not the word divorce. So, uh, so it's, uh, and, and I believe that's been a, a huge benefit to us. We have locked, thrown away the key, the door to giving up on our relationship. And because of that, we've both poured into making it work. Uh, another thing that we did was we, we decided that we would make our marriage the center of our family and not let our kids become the center of our family. Anybody have kids, you know they are clamoring to be the center of attention, right? So, uh, so that's been helpful. And then what I want to talk about today has, without a doubt, been one of the biggest ideas that has been responsible for releasing immense blessing into our lives. And so I want to take a few steps back and review where we're at. We're talking about this idea of the royal priesthood, and uh, we're in the book of Hebrews, and I want to read a few verses to you and just kind of uh, set up the foundation again one more time and then dive into something that I've actually just seen this time around. So those of you that have been here uh, for a few weeks, you've heard me say, I really got this concept or idea about us being the royal priesthood, uh, uh, maybe even two decades ago. But uh, as I dug into it again uh, to teach it one more time because we were reaching this place in Hebrews, uh, I saw something that I had never seen before, and that's the, that's, that's the beauty of the Word of God. I, I would say, uh, without uh, much fail, I have read the Bible daily my entire Christian life. Uh, I've not been flawless, but, but for the most part, I've read it daily my entire Christian life. And the thing that amazes me is that here I am, I'm going to be 44 years old old as a believer I am now. So 44 years ago, I gave my life to Christ. For 44 years, I've been reading my Bible almost on a daily basis, and I always keep finding fresh new stuff. 
And so I just want to encourage you to be a student of the Bible and uh, to pour in and listen for the Holy Spirit to whisper words of life to you because it can make such a difference. And so this is a, an aspect of this that I never saw until just this recent go-round. So Hebrews 6 verse 20 says, Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us into the heavenly places, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham also apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, which was first of all by the translation of his name, Melchizedek's name, king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now, let me go back to this place where we meet Melchizedek and introduce to this guy because Melchizedek is a, is a foreshadowing of Jesus. He's in the Old Testament. Melchizedek appears before the law was ever given uh, in, in the Old Testament. But Genesis chapter 14, Melchizedek, verse 18, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. He blessed him and said, blessed, so, so Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and he said, blessed be Abram of God Most High, which is the Hebrew word El Elyon, which literally means the possessor of heaven and earth. Say, and earth. And earth. And blessed be God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, El Elyon, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abraham gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of all. So the idea is this, is that Jesus, we're told, is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, we're introduced to in Genesis 14, was a king and a priest. And he had this combination of, uh, of earthly authority and heavenly spiritual authority. He was a priest to God, but he was also the king over a portion of land. Melchizedek was priest of El Elyon. He was priest of God Most High, who's the possessor of heaven and earth. Now, why that makes a difference is I think sometimes as a Christian or as a believer, sometimes we can forget about the authority God has given us on the earth or in the earth, and we actually end up just becoming, it's all about heaven, it's all about going to heaven, it's all about just me in a relationship with Jesus, but the truth is, God has put inside each, each of us both an authority spiritually, but also an authority in the earth. You're not on your own in your life on the earth. There is a place that's been set apart for you by God. He has chosen your inheritance for you, and you have a spot, you have a lane, you have a place in the earth. El Elyon is the possessor of heaven and earth. I love these verses because they help us understand. Psalm 89, verse 11, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all all it contains, you have founded them. So often, I think Christians have a tendency to forsake what, what is in the world because they somehow they think there's something wrong with it. But the truth is, God owns it all. God owns all the creativity. God owns all the innovation. God owns all the cool sounds. 
God owns all the finances. God owns all the big ideas that can help us move forward in life. And often, Christians can find themselves stuck in this little bitty small corner of the earth. Uh, Psalm 24.1 says this as well. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. So the idea is that heaven is the Lord's, the earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, and the God who possesses heaven, the God who possesses earth, has chosen for us or given us an inheritance in this earth. He's given us a place in this world. And I think a lot of people feel disjointed in their place. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? Where do I fit? Who is my tribe? How, and, and people end up in this place of isolation in life. So 1 Peter 2.9 says this, and this is how it comes into application for you and for me. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Everybody say a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. You're a, you're a, you, you are given a priesthood, a relationship with God, a connection with God, but also with this authority, a royal authority. You're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priest. I know it's hard to get excited about that, but if you get the idea... <laughs> So in other words, you are a priest uh, who has a connection with God, but you also have a king authority in the earth. Amen. Jesus is the high priest of a priesthood of which we are regular priests. So our priestly activities uh, of worship, of prayer, and what I want to talk about today, I think, are a part of releasing God's authority for our lives in the earth. So allow me this for a few moments. I want to read Hebrews 7, uh, and I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read 10 verses, but I want you to notice this, that there is in this passage seven different times that the concept of a tenth or a tithe is recorded in this passage of Scripture. So, uh, Hebrews 7, verse 1, This Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of Most High God, met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part, everybody say a tenth part, of all the spoils, which, first of all, by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness, King of Salem, which is King of Peace. So that's, that's the first time it's mentioned. Uh, without father, verse 3, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, he was made Melchizedek like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. Hebrews 7, 4, now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choice of spoils. So that's the second time that we see this idea of tenth or uh, tithe being mentioned. Hebrews 7, 5, those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to, connect, to collect a tenth from the people. So here we are again, uh, third mention, that is from their brethren, although they are descended from Abraham. Verse 6, the one whose genealogy is not traced from them 
collected a tenth, there it is again, fourth time, from Abraham, blessed the one who had the promises. Without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So Melchizedek is greater, blessing Abraham the lesser. Verse 8, in this case, mortal men receive tithes. Here we go. That's the fifth time. In that case, one receives them of whom it is witness that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes six times, paid tithes seventh time, uh, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, I've never seen this before, even though this idea lives big in me, but for seven times a tenth or a tithe is mentioned. There's something that is unique and special and holy and spiritual and powerful about the tithe. The first and best. Notice Abraham gave 10% of the choicest spoils. There's something incredibly unique about this idea of the tithe, the tenth. And just noticing in this passage that obviously this is before the law was even given, that this idea of paying tithe or giving a tenth was, uh, was present. Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek before the law was ever given. Because I know there are some people say that's an Old Testament law thing, but this was before the law. And then if you notice even another place, Jacob had this dream. Remember when Jacob was traveling and he fell asleep and he had his head on a rock and he had a dream of, of a ladder ascending up into heaven and angels were ascending and descending on, um, on that ladder. And it was, it was a dream about the house of God being a gate of heaven to the earth. And just to point this out, that Abraham said this, Genesis 28, verse 22, this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all, this is uh, uh, Jacob talking, of all that you give me, who, who is, turns into Israel after he has his wrestling match with God, of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So what this whole passage in Hebrews 7 and Thank you for letting me set this up. I'll get practical in a minute. But the whole passage is this idea that Abraham, who is the father of our faith, and down the road uh, is, go is going to have as one of his descendants Levi or Aaron or those who are of the Levitical priesthood who are, who are going to be told to receive tithe for God. Abraham, and the Bible's talking about this idea, which I think is an incredible idea in and of itself, and I'm not going to pursue it today, but literally what Abraham did had an impact on generations down the road and understanding that idea. So the Bible's saying that Levi or the Levitical priesthood or Aaron's uh, priesthood was actually in the loins of Abraham and Abraham is paying tithe to Melchizedek, thus recognizing that Melchizedek is actually greater than he is and greater than his lineage is. So, so let me just say this, that your tithe, the tithe, uh, because it's not your tithe, it's his tithe, the tithe is literally tied to your inheritance in God in the earth. It's a, it's a recognition 
that God has given that everything we have has been given to us by God. And I know some of us might say, well, I don't know if I want to recognize God that way. Can I just tell him that I think he gave me everything? Well, let me, let me put it in these terms. Uh, whenever my wife goes away for any amount of time, when she comes home, the number one thing that she wants is for the house to be spick and span, clean, smell like Lysol. I mean, everything in place. To come home with anything out of place is, is not her preference. Now, I know this. I could just say, hey, I would like to just go buy you some flowers. Isn't that good enough? But I know what she receives as love and honor is that she wants the house clean. It means more to her than me buying some flowers. Now, I know what you're thinking. Could you do both? Yeah, I guess I could. But I'm making the point that God has given this as a, as a recognition of honor that you recognize that everything you have, every victory, every talent, everything that you is happening good in your life, you are honoring him and recognizing him by honoring him with tithe. So, uh, just to say, because this is one of those kind of things where somebody goes, well, I don't know about all that. I, so, I'm just, just going to teach this for a few moments, but I want you to understand that I am talking out of literally 44 years of paying tithe, and I would say without any shadow of any doubt that this has been one of the greatest paths of blessing for our life. And Suzette and I have practiced this. She practiced it before she knew me. I practiced it before I knew her. We got into it. And in all candor, we go way beyond giving tithe. But uh, I mean, we're in a high, much higher percentage than just 10%. But there's something about the tithe that is a powerful thing that I believe can do an incredible thing in your life. So I have two motivations in this message. One is I literally uh, want you to live your best, most blessed life. Uh, that's absolutely at the top of where I'm at. But let me say, let me, let me say, if, let me go even top above that. I want God to be loved and honored in a way that he has said he likes to be loved and honored. I love you, but I love God more. And that's the way you're going to live a great life anyway. So let me just give you a couple of ideas. Number one is this tithe honors God. By giving God my tithe, by giving God his tithe, giving him my first and best, I am, I am saying to him, God, before anything else happens in my world, you get my best. And I think you have to remember this idea that tithe is not just 10%. It literally is the first and best 10%. So all of us have different things that we're spending money on. So, so the truth is, just say this is your tithe. And your tithe is when you give God 
first, the choicest, the best, whatever you have, that the very first thing. It doesn't come after. So you might have a house note. You might have a car payment. Uh, you might have to buy food. You know, it's just one of those things. Uh, electricity, vacation, you know, kids in school, you, you know, you name it. Fix the car, all the kind of stuff that happens. And the truth is, if, if, you're, if what you do with your first, so if your first is house payment, and then car payment, and then clothes, and then school, and you go, well, let's see, I might have enough left over after I've paid all this to give God tithe. The truth is, that is not tithe, because God does not get leftovers. God gets first and best. I'm going to suggest to you what we have practiced way before, uh, I mean, when we were barely, barely, barely making it financially, is that we just determined that the first thing that would ever happen is we would pay tithe and then figure out what kind of house could we live in, what kind of car could we drive around, what kind of clothes, what, what we would eat, all that, because this part came first and everything else. If, and so this is tithe. This is the honor that we give to God. I, for several years, I had had my heart set on a watch that I really, really wanted and surprised me one year for Christmas. Suzette bought me this watch. I wasn't expecting it to come. It was, it was just going to be a thing that I wanted, but it was just such an act of love and appreciation and honor that it just took my heart. And, and I think God deserves our very best. Numbers, uh, Numbers, Numbers chapter 18 in the message, verse 29 says, make sure that God's portion is the best and the holiest of everything you get. Even the book of Malachi, the entire book kind of gives this idea. It starts out, Malachi 1 verse 6, a son honors his father, a servant his master. If I am a father, God is saying, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my respect, says the Lord of hosts, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting, as God speaking now, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. You say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. When you present the blind for sacrifice, in other words, you have good goats, good sheep, good cattle, but you present the blind, is it not evil? When you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer that to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? The God is saying, hey, listen, I get this. If you're giving me your leftovers, I know where I stand in your life. I, was, I had this great friend in Bible college who was raised uh, in Germany on the mission field, and he, I remember him telling me the story how people would send them clothes uh, to, you know, to sort of help them out, and many times they'd open those clothes, and you could tell it was just people's leftover, didn't want it anymore, and he said, it just felt so degrading to us, that no, but we couldn't get anybody that would just want to send us a new pair of blue jeans. They were just sending us their leftovers. Second idea that I think is important to understand about this is that tithing is a matter of the heart. And that's really 
what it really is. Because what the Bible teaches is where your treasure is, there your heart is. And where your heart is, there your treasure goes. So Jesus taught this, right? Luke 12, 34, it says, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So it's easy to see what I love by looking at where my finances go. That, that's how you can, t- if, I look at, if I look at your finances and I look at your calendar, I can tell what you really love. So if you looked at my finances, you would see this. I like to read. I like coffee. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I like golf. Money, I, there's an, I like technology. I love my family. I like having a house. Indoor plumbing is good. You can tell what I love by looking at where my finances go. But the truth is, uh, if you were looking at my checkbook and my register and my, and my credit card register and the way all my finances have gone out, you would not find one nickel that has ever gone towards NASCAR. <laughs> Amen. Now, if you want to spend money on NASCAR, I don't care if you like to waste money, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it just because I don't care, right? There, there's, there's, there's never been a penny of mine go towards ice hockey. There's never been a dime of mine that's gone towards fishing gear because I don't care. I don't love it. It's not in my heart. Some of you guys... Uh, you know, every, every world has another level and another level and another level, right? I mean, you can buy the basic fishing pole, but if you're really into it, my chiropractor loves fishing, and he's always telling me about his newest, latest, greatest fishing pole and the whole nine yards, and I'm like, I don't care. Let me tell you about my golf clubs in. <laughs> uh, I, I will say this. I've never spent even a, a penny on anything that has to do with camping out. As long as there are hotels, there will never be a spin, well, I can't say there will never be. My point is this, and this, this is what you have to understand. It's okay if you want to spend money on NASCAR or ice hockey or fishing gear or camping out or golf or technology. It just shows us where your heart is. If we're saying that God is absolutely the number one thing in our life, then tithing proves that. The third thought is this, is that tithing is a trust in God move, right? Because let's face it, when you first get introduced to this idea, it's like, how, 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 I don't even know how to work this out in my budget. Like, how do I make that happen? But it's, it's literally a, a, an extremely tangible way to exhibit trust to God, to say, God, I'm relying on you to watch over me. I'm not ever going to just rely on my own strengths and my own giftings and my own figure it all out to live well. Proverbs 3, verse, starting in verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't think you're smarter than God. 
Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. That's going to be healing to your body, refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all you produce. So then your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. Fourth idea is tithing plants my best seed for my best future. I think getting this idea is of sowing and reaping is so fundamental to creating a great life. Because your life, my life, is always the result of what I've been willing to invest. We literally determine our life standard by what we're willing to give. So uh, over time, what you're willing to invest in your marriage is going to determine whether your marriage is great or not. Not what you get out of it, but what you're willing to put into it. What you're willing to invest in your health, what you're willing to invest in understanding finances, what you're willing to invest in your relationship with God. In other words, whatever, what, if you want something to rise, you've got to make an investment into it first. So life always opera, operates around this sowing and reaping principle. What I sow, how I sow, creates my future. So uh, here's what I know. If I want tomatoes in my future, I got to plant tomatoes. If I want corn in my future, I got to plant corn. So Jesus taught this in Luke 6, verse 38, give and it'll be given to you. They're going to pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, in other words, the way you give out, it's going to be measured to you in return. You set the standard for your future. You create your future by what you sow and how you sow today. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So the, the concept is this. It's not only what we sow we're going to reap, but how we sow. So here's my point. The temptation is to keep your best seed because you're afraid. The temptation, this is your best seed. And the temptation is to keep this seed and hold on to it and work it all out yourself. And then maybe somewhere if there's something left over, we might give a tip to God. And this is your best seed. The temptation is, let's keep the best seed and eat it because I need it. Let's keep, the temptation can be, and, and I'm not trying to be mean, I just want to say the temptation could be, oh, is that really necessary? What's the least I could do and still get by? I'm still going to go to heaven. Yeah. God still loves me. Yeah. He'll still give me grace. Yeah. But the whole point is this idea. What you plant, you will sow. You will reap. I remember reading a while back that if you want to, if you want to have a champion pumpkin, you know, those like those two-ton pumpkins that, that, that win the fair, you can't just plant any old seed. You've got to buy a specific seed from a specific place to have a champion pumpkin. Come on. You want a champion life, you got to plant 
the champion C. That is literally you and I saying, God, I put my future into your hands. I don't have time even to go too much further, but let me just give you one more idea and then we're going to pray together. And then I'm actually going to give you an opportunity to step into this as well. Just like last week we talked about the power of worship and prayer and shouting and clapping and releasing the authority of God and we took a moment to do that. We're gonna, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to step into this today. But I wanna give you this last idea. Number five is this tithing is God's idea. So I think the thing we have to understand is that no man created this concept of tithing. No church, no pastor, no ecclesia came up with it. The concept of tithe is entirely a God idea. Just as we know church is God's idea, we know tithe is. Just, tithing is not an isolated concept. I mean, it, it happens before the law. It happens during the law. Jesus mentioned we should do it as well. It's a concept. And so here's what I'm saying. We could say, well, isn't 3% good enough? Isn't 5% good enough? Isn't 7% good enough? How about, it? How about 20? How about 50? The truth is, I mean, he is God. He could say, you give me 90 and live on 10. But could I just remind us that God doesn't have to answer to us. We answer to him. And let me also remind you, and I think this is maybe one of the most important things to understand. It's not like God needs your money. We, it's, it's, we need to sow that seed. And he's described it. He's after your blessing. Listen, if there's anything within you that thinks, oh, that pastor is up there trying to trick me, th then just back off. Don't worry about it chill and and till you get the revelation but i'm just telling you 44 years this works i mean it absolutely works so i want us to pray together i want you to bow your heads and i want you to close your eyes and you know really this whole thing is about this idea that god's after your heart because if he's got your heart then he's got what's most important. And maybe you're here today and you've never actually given your heart, like your affection, your love, your who you really are into the hands of God. And, and maybe you're finally realizing that I, I can't do life on my own. I need God. I need the help of God. I need the love of God. I need the peace of God. I need, I need the favor of God in my life. So everybody in this room, head bowed, eyes closed. I just, here's the moment I want to pray. Let's just go here. If you've never given your life to Christ, let's pray together. Let's take that first move. If you're here today and there was a point where you used to be closer to God than you are now, come on, let's, let's come back. Or maybe you're just in a place where you're not sure exactly where you stand in your relationship with the Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just a moment to say, God, I need you. God, I need my life in your hands. And you want to take a step 
in your heart toward that. I just want you to lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? All over the room, just lift your hand. Say, yes, that's me. I want Jesus. I need my life in his hands. I need to follow after God. I want him. Thank you. Anybody else just would say, thank you so much. Let me say this whole, this whole idea about tithing. You got you to see it. Don't worry about that right now. <laughs> what I want you to worry about, what I want you to lean into is putting your life into the hands of this incredible God who is so for you, who's carved out a place for you in this life and in the next. Anybody else say, yeah, would you pray with me, Pastor? I really, I know I need to take a step forward in my relationship with God. I want everybody to pray this prayer out loud with me. This is for everyone who lifted their hand, but I'd love for us all to say it out loud. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life as my Lord. I know I've sinned, I've messed up, but I'm coming to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. So today, I embrace forgiveness. I embrace your Lordship. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord.